0: Slide, slide, please, Cathy. Sometimes when I see the suggested Bible reading for any particular Sunday, I feel quite relieved when it's a relatively straightforward subject to work with. For example, we all know the parable of the mustard seed and the little sheep and the messages that they are conveying, but this is not one of those readings. For hundreds of years, there have been... Many different interpretations, and I'll tell you now, there is much continued debate and differing degrees of agreement. Every man and his dog seems to have an opinion about this particular parable. I think, frankly, it's one of the weirdest parables that Jesus ever told. Yep, Uh, about a highly dubious business manager who cooks the books, deceives his master and is then seemingly praised for doing it. Not exactly prime saint material, is he? This story even has two contradictory titles, the shrewd manager or the unjust steward, and I've obviously given them a new one, which is genius or criminal. What is Jesus actually telling us with this? That it's okay to defraud your employer? did all the figures, and get praised for doing so? Well, no, of course not. He is not endorsing um, dishonesty of any kind. He is imploring us to plan for the future. Let's unpack this story a little and see how it applies to us today. And as always, it's really helpful, I think, to put the story into the context in which it was written. I'd like to follow just two trains of thought. There are many others with this parable, but we're not going to go down there, so I'm just going to stick to the two. Firstly, I'd like to talk about this money thing, and later to take a look at just verse 9 by itself. Jesus sets the scene really quickly. He's very good at doing that. Here we have a dodgy business manager who's been fiddling the books and deceiving his master. His master has been informed by somebody or other, and um, he confronts his manager, firing him and telling him to correct the amounts before he leaves. This story would have made a great deal of sense um, to his audience, who included his disciples and, of course, the Pharisees. Faced with the shame of losing his job as a result of his own criminal activity, he hatches a deceitful, nay, cunning plan. He calls in his customers and slashes their bills. This was probably, or possibly, I should say, cutting out what would have might have been his commission, or maybe just him simply falsifying the accounts further so that his boss wouldn't actually be aware of how much money he had lost. He's a really bad guy. So why is he praised by his master? Well, his master was a man of the world and clearly had lived well enough, long enough to be in a position of power and authority. You don't get to be head of a corporation without experiencing all sorts of um, situations, including crime, of course. His manager would have also climbed the ranks in a similar way and seen all sorts of scams and dodgy deals too. That MD, that managing director, the master, was not commending his manager for acting fraudulently, but was probably um, acknowledging his calm and resourcefulness when faced with financial and personal catastrophe. We need to remember who Jesus was telling the story to. His own disciples and the Pharisees. Jesus was not applauding dishonesty, but explaining that for all his many faults, the manager did at least get something right. And that is, when faced with catastrophe, he was able to take decisive action at the 11th hour, however bad that plan was. Jesus was demonstrating to his followers that taking decisive decisions when necessary was to be commended and sometimes absolutely essential. Jesus thought his generation was sleepwalking its way over the edge of a cliff. If disaster was to be averted, then urgent remedial action was essential. Our generation is in exactly the same position. We have countless and enormous issues that we must deal with urgently and rigorously, such as climate change, institutional racism, wars, diseases, exploded, exploding rises in the cost of living, erosion of individual and religious liberties, to name but a few. Scary as these are, they are just too big for us to fix as individuals. Our biggest problem, to use the language in this parable, is that we will, one final day, be asked to submit our accounts to Christ and our accounts are in a mess. One day we will have to justify what we did with our lives That is what Jesus was explaining to his listening audience, and it is the same for us today. One point which this parable is making is that there is a finite window facing everyone, all of us, for making our peace with God, getting our books in order, to be honest, getting our accounts straight, not our money, but our lives. Our personal audit, if you prefer it that way. Decisive and personal action is what this situation requires. And it is entirely in our own hands. The second thread I would like to pick up and run with focuses on just one verse, verse 9. Learn some lessons from this crooked but clever asset manager Realise that the purpose of money is to strengthen friendships, to provide opportunities for being generous and kind. Eventually money will be useless to you. But if you use it generously to serve others, you will be welcomed joyfully into your eternal destination. I think we all know about the value of money. The whole world spins as a result of it. We can't live without it, and actually we don't live with it very well either, do we? We're obsessed with money, and never more than we are now. The fat cats get fatter, and the poor get poorer. But Jesus, well, he's obsessed with relationship, with us, with each other, forever. In our reading, he clearly tells us that the purpose of money is to strengthen friendships. This is also a bit of an odd thing for us to consider, Isn't our money to be used for paying bills, food shopping, filling the car, the rent, the mortgage, for saving, if you were in that fortunate position as to be able to do that? Why does Jesus consider money to be the root of all evil? Because we'd be pretty stuck without it. It isn't money itself that's wrong, but we are advised to use it really wisely. Jesus implores us to use it intelligently and to use it to strengthen our relationships and it is relationships that are so much more important than money as they say you can't take it with you when you go that's so true jesus asks us to save our sorry to use our money wisely to build relationships with others so that when we are promoted to glory we'll have our friends meet us there It is friendships that last forever, not cash. It doesn't mean just spend your money on your friends and go out for a meal, but use it wisely to share the good news of Jesus Christ and to spread his infinite love wider. When we did that silly game this morning, the plan was that everyone could see how connected we are with each other. Person X may not have known of Person, why when they came in this morning, but look how visibly connected we are because of the love of Jesus Christ. Did you know that you actually had a hundred plus friends when you came in this morning? Probably not. None of this earthly wealth matters one bit in the end, and how much money we might or might not have matters not one being to God, it's what we do with it that matters. God tells us to use it wisely. He tells us to use it up, to give it away, to make friends old and new in the faith who will welcome us into our eternal homes. Maybe this obscure parable wasn't quite so obscure after all. Jesus is telling us, make friends in whatever way you can, wherever you are able to. Use your money wisely so that you can do just that make friends for everlasting life. Amen.